Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. Well, you picked a fine podcast to log into today or download or log click or whatever, you know, listen to. How about that? How about we agree with that? Hi, everybody, and welcome to the original Six Feet Conversation podcast. I am your podcasting host, your podcasting friend, uh, Rob Kerr. I hope you are well. Um, We have not done this enough. I just wanted to start off today by hoping that there's a couple of ears out there that belong to essential workers that are using this for what it was intended, which is a distraction, a diversion, just a place to go and listen to people. some people tell some stories about sport in Calgary and, and learn about sport in Calgary. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you to all of the uh, frontline first responders, to the uh, essential services, to the people delivering food, to the people stocking shelves. Uh, you know who you are. You know we're relying on you. And uh, just great opportunity for us just right here to tip our cap and thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, today, our guest, full disclosure, a friend of mine. Uh, I have known him for a long time now. Um, I trust him, and you'll know that I trust him. You can tell that I trust him because we fight and we argue in these conversations. Uh, we have done so in the past. He has been a guest on a podcast on Sport Calgary prior, a couple of years ago. Um, but he is a guy that I love debating the merits of leadership. I love debating the merits of um, high-end versus recreational sport. Uh, I love to debate the merits of uh, volunteer versus paid-for coaching. Um, He's a guy that'll mix it up on so many levels because he can, because he knows what he's talking about, because he walks the walk. He, along with his brother Bob, run Elevate Lacrosse. He, along with his brother Bob, is a former NLL player. Um, He also has represented Canada on the international stage, is a box lacrosse and a field lacrosse expert, coach, player, you name it. University of Denver um, is where he went to play. Uh, He is Jeff Snyder. Um, He is a man about town. You probably recognize the name. Uh, he's very much in the forefront and one of the leading voices of uh, lacrosse, both field and box, in our city. And I love getting down into the trenches and wrestling on the topics with Jeff. So this one's probably going to feel a little bit different than some of the podcasts we've done because uh, we just get after it. That's how uh, Jeff and I go. That's how we roll. And, and that's why I enjoy talking to him so much. So I'm glad he could join us. Uh, before we get to that conversation, a reminder, Calgary's home to world-class multi-sport facilities. Find the facility closest to you at sportcalgary.ca. Uh, get ready. We're going to face off with one of the best face-off men the NLL has ever seen. Here he is, Jeff Snyder. Nothing with Jeff Snyder surprises me, uh, especially in these circumstances. Um, how do we find you in these circumstances? How are you making out with all of this? Um, you know, I think like everybody, I was chatting with uh, a friend yesterday. Um, you know, I think everybody's having good days and bad days and there's some highs and some lows. And I think, um, you know, you get a little introspective, you, uh, you tune into, you know, maybe a little bit about yourself. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I I think this is going to do a couple of things for people. It's going to be really positive in the sense that they're going to come out of here with a new skill. Maybe they learned a language, maybe they're super fit or people are going to be, you know, it's not going to have changed much for people. So I don't know how many people are going to come out of this worse, 
But um, I think there's going to be a uh, you know a consistent hey I'm uh, same old business as usual or um, you know I've really reflected on a lot of stuff and I've I've you know changed as a person. Were you at all prepared? Um, no, I think I, I think like everybody, I was pretty naive. If I was prepared for this, I would have shorted the hell out of the stock market and I would probably be on a yacht somewhere. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think you're ever prepared for, you know, for what this looks like. Um, but I got to tell you, I think we I, I think collectively, you know, humanity as a whole needed some adversity. Um, I, you know, I, we see it in sports a lot. And mm-hmm. I think you look at it now in politics and you look at it in you know, in, in all aspects of, of what's going on in the world. Um, you know, it sucks. It's not good. The economy's tough. People are having a hard time. Yeah. Um, but, but you don't get better when it's smooth sailing. And I think we've been pretty blessed and pretty fortunate for quite some time. And, um, you know, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big believer in adversity. So I've been saying it a lot when we talk to kids, it's just like lean in, you know, you have, you have no other choice, but to lean into this and, and, uh, do your best to come out of it on the other side better than what you went in. Yeah. It's an interesting perspective. I, I think it's one that, a lot of people probably, especially of you know my age and your age, I think probably have quietly been saying to themselves, you know, we're the generation that never had to, you know, fight a world war. We're the generation that, you know, had it pretty good, um, all things considered. Not to suggest that we haven't had strife in the world, but you know, when you look at it historically, this is a, a first for many of us that you know we've been asked to do something for the greater good, sacrifice, if you will, for the greater good. Um, but that greater good, good is health. It's not necessarily economical. And, and that's been the interesting struggle here, I think, for some. You know, I, I, and I've said it to Bobby, and I think it's a real crass thing to say, and I'll, I'll say it on the podcast because I'm transparent and honest, but I, I'm like, man, like I look at some of the times that we're coaching with kids or we're experiencing families or we're working with people, I'm like, we need a world war. Like, why are our, why are our, why were our grandparents so tough? Why were our great-grandparents so tough? Why... You know, why were our parents tough on us? It's because their parents were tough on them. And I think there's a trickle down effect now, sure. you know, in terms of, you know, you, you say that and, and I get that war is bad and, and death is bad. And but we're literally in a world war like we are in one in 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 a modern day, you know, like sophisticated society where we don't go and and blow each other up and, and shoot each other. We're, we're literally fighting something on a global level and it's requiring, you know, and a lot of that you know doing your part to you know to contribute to your own communities and and make sure that you know we're doing this collectively yeah um, and yeah. and man i gotta I, you know it's it's tough it's tough no i and i get it and and, and unfortunately we live in a literal world I, I know you're not being literal but you're absolutely right like it's it's really it's it's asking us to be of service to our neighbor it's you know again coming back to a collective good and trying to stay healthy. Thank God we don't have to fight anybody. Thank God it's about staying home. But the moaning and the complaining and the conspiracy stuff just drives me insane because, you know, if we if we pitch in and we do it together, we all hang in there, it's over quicker. But if we, you know, if we're only half-ass committed to it, and again, back to that sports analogy, how do you, nobody wins a championship if you're half-assing it. No, it's it's true. Um, but I, I also think, too, that there isn't really, uh, you know, there, there's no there's no playbook for this. Either. No, like, you no, know, there's no there's no you know, there's strategy and the strategy has been relatively collective, you know, in, in terms of quarantine and social isolating. And, you know, the, the reality is, is that there's so much more going on here there. I would imagine there's an arms race for a vaccine. Sure. You know, I think that there's there's lots of there's lots of stuff that's really taking place here that, 
you know, on a, on a, on a bigger, you know, if you want to call it a deeper state level that, that, then we, then we know, but you're right. The only thing that we, uh, that we have control over as a, you know, as, as people in society is one of two things leading positively to make sure that we're keeping people together and, and focused in the right direction. And two, during your part as a, as a citizen, you know, yeah. and I saw if I, if I would have saw somebody licking things at a grocery store there, I, I would have spent, a, I would, I would be spending my quarantine in a, in, in a prison. Yep. Um, and, and so like, there's a lot of these different things that I think are really testing, you know, the metal of folks. And, and, um, you know, I think for, on, on a global perspective, I think that good outweighs the bad here and smart weighs out stupidity. Um, but that being said, you know, the, like the, the people that are, you know, putting themselves in a position where they are going out and, you know, my, my buddy, Ryan Farrell is a former Calgary guy. Mm-hmm. He played for the Canucks. Um, he's an actor in New York city and, uh, he's been on some shows. He was on, uh, 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 the deuce. He was on a couple of different shows on HBO and he's doing really well in New York. He lives in Brooklyn and he was walking around. I was talking to him on FaceTime and he's filming. There's people playing basketball and hanging out at skate parks and all this stuff in New York scene. You wonder why New York is the way that it is yeah. because New Yorkers weren't prepared to shut down their way of life as quickly as they need to do. And that's why it's the center of the earth right now for this thing. So, you know, there's something to be said about just collectively taking a back seat, relaxing. You don't have to go get into a trench with a, with a bayonet and, and a semi-automatic weapon and wear camouflage. Um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta post up and you gotta, you know, maybe put your, you know, your own boredom, uh, on the front lines here and, and do what you need to do to, you know, to, to make sure that we come out of this a little quicker than not. I think there's a lesson too, because part of this conversation will be, of course, you know, your journey through leadership and coaching and sport, but there's a, le- a, a real lesson here in something you said, there is no playbook. And it, it's been interesting listening to leaders, not managers, leaders now talk about perfection being the enemy. That if we spent too much time trying for perfection, that we wouldn't have enacted the things that we needed to enact in the first place. Were we right about everything? No. But we acted. And you needed to act. And if you waited to come up with the perfect plan, you would have cost lives. Which I think is a really interesting lesson for sport, too. That, you know, the perfect game plan, the perfect practice plan, the perfect athlete doesn't exist. You need to move forward and, and you need to be able to do you know, make good decisions, not perfect decisions. You got to make decisions. And I think that's yeah. what leadership boils down to is you look at, um, you know, the, the New Zealand prime minister, you yep. know, she is, she's one of the biggest gangsters in the world right now. She shut that place down immediately. And, and the hard part about leadership, and I think this is where as, as North Americans as a whole, you know, we're used to having our cake and eating it too. And you can't tell me to stay home and you can't tell me to do this. And the reality is, is that leadership, you know, I, we talk to our kids about this all the time, mm-hmm. is that leadership in the minds of these individuals is like high fives and pats on the butt and, and the pregame speech, the rah-rah. But in reality, like that isn't leadership. Leadership is making the hard decisions that potentially polarize groups and polarize individuals. And and that's what this prime minister did is she stepped on a, you know, she stepped on the gas right away. I'm sure there was tons of people that were It wasn't about about a political decision. It was about the greater good and making a tough decision immediately without any, without any, you know, I guess thinking about consequence or how does this look for my campaign over the next couple of years? That's what leadership is. It's the hard decision that potentially polarizes individuals that whether there's an outcome or not. And that's why, you know, 
you see great coaches or great teammates that take responsibility for a potential failure. I chose this game plan. This was my failure. I take responsibility. Yeah. And and I think that's what I love most about about Mike Pressler. Uh, Mike Pressler is a coach at, at Duke University. Um, coach P was out here last year at our EXP program. He's a wonderful man. And uh, he he ultimately took the fall um, for what happened to Duke. Granted, all of as everything unwound at Duke, um, you know, Coach P stuck by his guys. And 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 that's what you know, that's what this is all about is 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 not acting because you're acting to to preserve. It's about acting because it's the right thing to do. And leadership's hard. Yeah, leadership is hard. And I, you know, I've kind of alluded to it, too. And I've, I've talked on and off with some guests on this podcast, but this has exposed managers from leaders. We have on a global scale, we have we have become very it's become very obvious to us who are managers and who are leaders. And it makes me think of guys like you and, and guys that I know who are working with kids who value leadership and value those those lessons. Just to me, it's more important than ever. You know, we can talk and you and I have done this podcast before. We've talked on the radio before. Yeah, there's a value in skill development. There's no doubt. But the, the great missing piece, I think, in youth sport these days is is leadership and and teamwork and building consensus and doing the right thing for the greater good. I think that has to be one of the legacies of what we've gone through this year when we come out of it. It needs to be incorporated in a more meaningful way back into sport. Well, and I think that's where, you know, uh, we we walk that fine line. You, you and I talk about it all the time. Yep. It's profit versus not for, not for profit versus profit. Yep. And, and what does that look like? And yep. I think something to clarify for people that are tuning in for the first time, like we run a for-profit organization. That being said, no one's going to come buy Elevate Lacrosse off Jeff Snyder for some massive amount of money, and I'm going to walk away and sail off into the sunset. The second that Bob and I stop with this program, it dies. It's not going anywhere, and no one's buying it. You know, we're doing it because we believe in it, and we love it, and we're fortunate enough to work in the community. And, and so that's my caveat. And, I, and I, would, I would add to your caveat just a little bit that I think the sport itself lends it, itself to what you're doing, right? Absolutely, yeah. yes. And it really does. The makeup of, you know, we don't, the 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 field lacrosse component, the recruiting component, all of that stuff, it's 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 piggybacking off a bigger industry in the United States, which um, you know we partake in because that's the avenue that we we direct student athletes in to go and participate in in school. But you know that being said too, is we're able to coach from nine in the morning till nine at night every single day because this is what we do. Mm-hmm. We're fortunate enough to do that. So you know, with respect to what's going on in youth sport. I think that there is, you've got, there's good lead, there's managers Mm -hmm. and there's leaders. Yep. And then you've got a lot of these guys that kind of step into these situations. And I think what's kind of gone on in youth sport is that there, the, the control of, of, you know, parents or kids or situations in these environments has really impacted the ability to lead in youth sports. So, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that my dad never had a conversation with one of my coaches, yep. not once, yep. about my play, about me being on the field, anything. My parents never spoke to a coach. And I'm not saying that as a, as a coach myself that I'm not willing to talk to parents, but I think the faith in the direction is you get to choose where you want to put your kids. So you get to choose if you want to put your kids in community, if you want to put your kids in club, if mm-hmm. you want to put your kids in spring hockey, whatever direction you want to put your kids in, that's great. Choose the direction, let the kids go into the program and step back and let the leadership that you've chosen to lead your individuals lead. Yeah. And if you don't want to do that the following year, that's fine. You explore another avenue and that's okay. And I think 
leadership in sport has taken a backseat to the economy of sport is that if I don't act a certain way, no one's going to sign up for my programs. Correct. And I think what we've done is we've gone the other route is that I, uh, we, we talk about character, culture, and compete in our program all the time. It's the foundation of what it means to be a part of our programs. It's on your it's t-shirt. It's on my t-shirt. It's everywhere. <laughs> we, uh, we, we, we talk about what that's supposed to mean when you're a part of our programs, but that's also the foundation and the pillars of our business as well. Yeah. So when we make business decisions, business decisions on, you still got me? Yeah, I do. Yep. That break up there up. Yep. Yeah, you're, um, no, you're when good. We make you're business good. decisions. We make business decisions on, on. Uh, uh, we make business decisions on those those three pillars as well. So there's a continuity between how we conduct ourselves on the field and how we conduct ourselves in the office and how our players conduct themselves as well. So, I look at it now is that if there's individuals that necessarily want to challenge our direction, we lean on the fundamentals that I've been I've been bestowed upon me through guys like Mario Amantia. Yep. Who was a hockey coach of mine. Yep. Um, Paul Del Monte, who was my my lacrosse coach, who um, you know got situations where you know Dave Huntley and Chris Sanderson, a guy who you know I, I think about man, like there's decisions that I have to make where it's like, do I really want to do this? And then I think, you know what, if I was dying of brain cancer because Chris was when he chose to take time off chemotherapy to go play for Team Canada in Manchester, is this something that I would be proud of if I did or I didn't? Would Dave Huntley look at me? Like I was a jerk if I did this. So we're leaning on the experiences of all the amazing coaches and teammates that we've had when we're applying our program. And I think what's happened in today's sport is that the economy of sport has and the, and the dollars surrounding that and the registrations correlated that have, have potentially put that on on a back seat um, in today's programming. Right. And, and, and that's where. You know, we I think have ha- have we've turned people away. We've we've turned down registrations because maybe a family isn't a good fit or a kid isn't a good fit or this isn't the best program for you because it's not going to do what it needs to do for you. So I, I do think that there's lessons in there as well that that have you know, and in, in terms of sport as a whole, has really slowed down the ability to lead because people are potentially afraid to. I would like you and I to make an agreement that a year from now we'll revisit this topic and I'll tell you why. Not that social media should be trusted or used as anything, but it is a, a form of communication. What I'm based off of what you just talked about, we have all of these kids back home now and you have all of these parents with these mea culpas going, geez, I, I didn't know teachers have a really difficult job. It's tough. My kids hard to deal with. Part of what we're going through is, you know, now they're yours. Like, you get them. You keep them. You teach them. You you work them out. You you keep them active. I am wondering if a year from now, one of the byproducts of this might not be maybe a step back away from the, what, what, what are we calling it, the bulldozer culture, the helicoptering parenting and stuff like that. If, you know, just actually physically having to spend time with your kids all the time, if that's not going to trickle down and impact sports as well. I, you know what? I hope it does. I think that, you know, you've, uh, and granted parents, I think we've been afforded the luxury in North America that as a parent, you know, it's wonderful. Parents go out and they work, they're nurses and doctors and teachers and firefighters and businessmen and traders or whatever. And they come home and you get there, you know, you get your two or three hours with your kids and then they're out the door again. Right. The amount of, yeah. the amount of time, I think you make a really good point is the amount of time that parents are actually spending with, with their, you know, their sweet little angels, 
you know, those angel wings have turned into horns and a tail with a pitchfork pretty quick. Oh, and, 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 so, and, and hey, listen, my yours truly, I, I know my kids better now than I ever have. Um, and I'm glad, I'm, I, you know, that's a good positive, a good byproduct of this, right? Absolutely. Oh, I think, I think this is wonderful. I, like the time, you know, I, I've never talked so much trash to my own mother playing crib in my entire life. And like, I, you know, I've like the, the amount of time that, that people are coming together here. I think there's probably a lot of families mm-hmm. that are really digging in to a lot of uh, there is probably a lot of adversity. There's a lot of character development. There's a lot of growth that at the end of the day, what better people to do that with than your family? Because no matter how bad it gets, you right. can't get rid of them. Right. Right. So there's there's growth there no matter what, period. It's not like you can just like check out and, you know emancipate yourself and, and see you later. You know, you're in the trenches right now with these folks that you're stuck with, with your life. And, and whether you like it or not, the one thing that I think is going to happen here is that families will be much closer. And maybe that is the byproduct that allows parents to sort of like, let the reins go a little bit with teachers and coaches and say, Hey, I know my kids. Mm -hmm. I know what they're all about. I know how they are. But you know what? They could use some. They could use a little scrape from you as well. A little, mm-hmm. you know, a little scratch, a little push. Yep. You know, a little, you know, a little touch up, a little makeup, whatever that is. That yep. that you know, these people in these kids' lives are applying. You know, they're getting from these other people. I think that would be a really positive thing. So I think it's two things: one, time spent together, yep. number one, and and two, the growth and the connection that's probably being established there maybe allows itself for a little bit more. Um, a little bit more, um, what's the word for, um, you know, just affect from, from mm-hmm. other people in those environments, um, whether it is coaches or teachers or, you know, dance instructors or, or music teachers, whatever it may be, they're yeah. going to rely on these mentors a little bit more because they're adding to the experience, not taking away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, not all, not everybody, but it is, it's prevalent is it's, it's, it's yeah. worth that discussion. I mean, you know, you and I've also had the same discussion about is, you know, we got to get back to learning, teach kids to fail that kids Absolutely. have, kids have, have had it some, not all some. And, and, and that's the danger in a conversation like this is you can't, you really, when it comes to youth sports need to paint with a watercolor brush, not a, a four inch, you know, big paintbrush, right? You can't use broad strokes, but you know, that whole idea of returning and learning the, and, and the use of failure, uh, there's so many good things that sport brings and I'm just hoping that part of what the opposite, the end, the other side of this is maybe a kind of a renewal purpose for sport. Like, oh, it wasn't just to occupy time. Oh, it wasn't just to keep them from, you know, from beating each other up. It, there's a value in this. Oh, absolutely. I, man, the, what goes on on a playing field from <laughs> the from the moment that you prepare to leave your home to the time that you return to your house you know, there are components to that, that, you know, I don't want to go like there's the there's the fact that you have to get motivated, you have to get organized to pack your gear, you know, we, our kids run if there, there's a like, you come to practice, there's a set uniform that you wear for practice. Mm-hmm. If there's an item missing on anybody, there's a consequence. So the preparation takes place at home when you're packing your bag, you're putting your tools together to come to practice, there's a preparation component. And then on the back end of that, there's requirements on, uh, you know, on, on the tail end of, of practice as well. And, and so everything in between now, you know, I'm talking on an elite level. But that being said, if you forget a cleat, <laughs> you can't play soccer. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wh- whether you're whether you're, you know, whether you're Ronaldo or you're, you know, you're Timmy, who's just, you know, 
going to the park for the first time, you forget one of your cleats, you're not stepping on the field. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I look at the level of just the, the global accountability that's associated to sport because sport is fun. Sport's great to go be social. You have coaches that care about you, people that you interact with. And, and if you, you know, you, you're held accountable in these environments because at the end of the day, it's a team setting. Your actions correlate to the others around you. And again, whether you're Michael Jordan, and I want to touch on this for a second after the fact, and, 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 uh, or you're somebody who's just picked up a basketball for the first time, there are successes and failures on a brand new beginner grassroots level and an elite level. And I, and I love this. I love hearing that kids don't make a team and they don't want to play sports anymore. I didn't make the team, so I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. And I love it because Michael Jordan, as a sophomore in high school, got cut from the varsity team. Yep. Cut. Yep. Yep. And he went home. Yep. And he was pissed. And he wanted to quit. And he was mad. And that's fair. But he didn't. <laughs> and that's the whole point is that, you know, like, and I love it with kids sport. I know how dear, near and dear yep. you are to kids sport. I love their new campaign. When we lose we learn yep. when we don't win, when we don't win, we learn. Right. And, and I can't, I cannot tell you a, a lesson. Like I don't look at the 2014 world championship when we won and go, man, we won a gold medal. I learned so much. I didn't learn anything. I learned everything in 2010 when we lost by a goal and a, a dear friend of mine played his last ever lacrosse game with a brain tumor. That's what I learned. Yeah. I didn't learn anything from 2014. I can't tell you one lesson that I learned from winning a gold medal. I can tell you everything I learned from losing. Yeah. And so that's what I, and I think that's what's so broad in sports is that there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. And that is paramount whether you are a brand new athlete or you are a, you know, or you're buying for a world champion and everything in between. And, and if, you re- if you remove that from the equation, then it has no value. Right? None. It has no value. No value, None. you know, and and there's a couple things that I've learned doing these podcasts, not learned, but reinforced doing these podcasts. Funny you bring up 2014, right? Winning. The, the person who does not have sport in their life, the person who's never competed in their life, won't understand what a championship means. Championship does not mean when the buzzer goes off, I'm the last one standing. Championship means uh, the road taken, the signposts along the way. The, the, the challenges, the pitfalls, all of those things, that's what a championship is. And that it's funny, doing this podcast, it just reinforces that. You talk to great cup champions, Stanley Cup champions, Olympic champions, it does not matter. It does not matter, right? To you, you, win, you learn from losing. But when you win, then you hold on to the memory of the journey, not the title. You couldn't be more correct. And... You know, when you when you look at that process, and I think that's what becomes a little bit confusing is you've got so many people playing sport, you've got so many parents that are involved, you know, I, I you got so many kids that are involved, is is the process is ultimately, you know, you you don't you don't come to the end of your life and go, you know, I'm here, I lived a great life, I'm mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. You know, you reflect on, you know, we, we talk about making memories and you talk about you talk about, um, you know, remembering the people that have affected you along the way. And if yep. you want to correlate, if you want to correlate, you know, if you want to condense a, you know, a lifetime into, you know, a sporting career, you know, I, I get asked all the time. People ask me, like, do you remember the guys? Like, what do you remember? What's the thing you miss most? And I always, you know, in terms of the egomaniac that I am, I love the crowd. I love getting out in front of the crowd. That's my answer. Right. I love playing in front of the crowd. But I look back on my sporting career and I'm like, man. 
I, when I think about my career, I never think I, the first place that my head goes is not to championships and winning. No, it goes to like all of the really tough moments that like I found myself sort of rising out of the ashes with a different perspective. And I think that's where, you know, when we talk about, you know, when you think about everything that goes on here, when you talk about a loss, well, you've got a coach that's a parent, that's a leader, that's a mentor. You've got teammates that are all kind of around you. You've got trainers, you've got, you know, whatever it has, you've got parents on the sidelines and all of these uncontrolled variables kind of come together in this little pocket. And the one common goal is to win, but there's also a byproduct of to lose. And now people have to act a certain way when they win and people have to act a certain way when they lose. And all of those uncontrolled factors all contribute to your growth in a respective environment. Right. 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 And that's the beauty of it is it's like it's literally completely uncontrolled. Yeah. You could have a you could have a a coach that fires off the deep end. You could have you know, you could have a, a you know, someone holds you super accountable in front of your team. Like there's all these different moments that kind of like that that lend itself to this this, you know, this environment, this pressure cooker that is there to forge your direction and your character and your mentality moving forward. And the beauty about sport is that it's honest and it's it's. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's innocent. It, there's a lot of innocence in sports in general. There's a lot of bad things in sports too, but for the most part, you know, that's why I kind of want the NHL to go play in an arena that has nobody in it is what a, what a, what a cool experience it would be for these guys to go out and yes, sure. It's about money. It's about all this stuff, but it's quiet. You're in an arena, just playing a game. And when you first started playing, no one was in the arena either. And, and it, I think it would really take a lot of these guys back to an environment where, like, why why am I playing this? You know? like yeah, what? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, you know, I, uh, it is entertainment. Um, have you watched any of this professional wrestling that they're doing in, in no, with no crowds? Like, it's... No, I haven't at all. It's really bizarre. Like, it's... Right? You know, it's, it's, it's odd. Um to your point, though, I think competitors are competitive, so yeah. I don't think they would, you know, lollygag or anything like that. I just think it would be, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's funny. We had Rob Cookson on, and he was coaching in the Swiss League, and they played playoff games in the, um, in, in the, in empty buildings. And, and he, what did he, what, what did he, he, he said it was weird. He said it was weird. Like it, right? it was odd. Yeah, that. You could hear everything, right? Like, you know, it's like you say, back to, you know, back to your minor hockey days of, you know, playing on a Saturday afternoon at, at Stu Prepard. Like, you can hear everything, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, it would be, it would, I would imagine that for the guys on the ice, it would be an incredibly intimate experience. Mm-hmm. Like, to play at that level, televised. So there's like a, you know, it's, you're on TV, you're under a microscope. Yeah. Right. Let the world watch. Put them in an empty arena. Like I would imagine it would get gritty. I think it would be I I would I would tune in. You mean the style of play? You think the style of play would change? Absolutely. I think it would be super intimate. Guys would be I think you you, you take a bunch of competitive type A guys, you throw them in quarantine and then you let them loose on each other in an arena that's empty. So there's no distractions. There's no hype. There's no cameras. There's no music. There's no smells. They're, like people don't understand, like as an athlete, like you sit in the locker room and you, you can smell popcorn. Yeah, oh, for sure. You can yeah. hear the music. You walk outside and there's lights and it's, like, it's it's so overwhelming from from a from a sensory perspective yeah. that like you dig in now and now it's like 
you know, you're, you're up against, you're up against another man in a corner fighting for a puck and you normally can't hear someone breathe. Like now you've got like, there's all these other things that you're going to tune into. I'd be really excited to see what that would look like because I think it would just be, it would be crazy for the guys on the ice. And I think it would actually add to the level of the product. Well, what, it would be what, super intimate. But what would it do for box lacrosse? Because box lacrosse is about sensory. You know, the professional, sorry, the professional game is. The NLL is all about sensory. It's about the music. It's about the energy. It's about all of that. You know, what would that game look like in that, you know, in that same environment that you're talking I, about? You got to remember, too, a lot of these guys, you played in arenas where that doesn't happen, right? Every guy oh, for that's sure. played, for sure. every guy that's played in the National Lacrosse League, in terms of the product for the fan, like if, if you know, you played in an arena, the reason why I think you got, people got to remember what is so interesting about box lacrosse in an arena is that you cannot hear the ball connect with a stick. You can't hear, um, you know, someone cross check somebody else. You can't, you know, you don't hear guys like you think about basketball. You hear guys changing direction on the floor. You yeah, you hear the parquet. Play, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and and you, lacrosse is silent. Like if you mm. think about it, all you would hear is the communication of the players, and the only people communicating are defenders. Yeah, right. That's why they turn the music up when the you know when the home teams on. Right on, uh, on or turn the music down when the home team's on defense. Turn it up when the visiting team's on defense. Right, that's happened. Like that's been a an yep. issue that's been addressed by the league. So, I, and guys that play in that league, they play in the summer and they play in environments where they're they're not playing quarters, they're playing periods, and you're playing in New Westminster on a wood floor and it's a hot. You know, there's no music during the play, so it's that that environment exists for lacrosse and it is a really intimate environment as well. Um, so I, I think the transition from a professional perspective from the NLL. Um, I, I think guys would really relish in that, but I think the NHL the guys haven't played in that at all in a very long time. You got a ten-year vet that's played in the NHL. It's been music and popcorn oh. and lights and interviews. It would be so foreign for that guy. Yeah. It would be. It would be really interesting to see how they like. How does it go? Like, what, what does it look like? I think it'd be really cool to watch. Yeah. Um, Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the events listing. Become a member. It's easy and free. Visit www.sportcalgary.ca slash members. Who, um, who's the best lacrosse player to ever come out of Calgary? Oh, man. You know, Caleb Toss up there for sure. Okay. Um, Jason Wolder's another great player. Uh, mm-hmm. He was inducted in the Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame. He's a blast from the past, an old Calgary Roughneck. Yep. Uh, um, uh, the Ray brothers were here for a while. We're here, um, but I'm talking about, I'm not talking necessarily about who played in Calgary. I'm talking about the best player to come out of Calgary. I, I'd probably have to give it to Caleb. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, God, he scored a beautiful goal to win uh, an NLL championship um, with. Um, um, with, uh, Toronto, yep. uh, came to Calgary, won championships here. Um, you know, Caleb's, Caleb's a pioneer for sure. Um, you know, I look at, I look at my, my lacrosse career personally, I followed Caleb to Burnaby. The only reason I went to Burnaby was because Caleb Toth was at Burnaby. Right. Uh, and, uh, I think a lot of people have, have followed that lead, um, in terms of what's going on with Caleb. Uh-huh. Um, so I'd, I'd for sure give that to him. So is he the best overall lacrosse player? Is he the best box lacrosse player to come out of Calgary? Um, he would be the best box. Caleb didn't play field. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I would, I would, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Are, you are, know, lots of kids now are. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, are we able to, are we able to identify that, that field lacrosse player that came out of Calgary? 
Um, well, in terms of, in terms of tenure, like I'm probably the most tenured in terms of field lacrosse experience. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of, uh, international experience, um, but you know, I, there's some players coming up right now. There's a kid, Levi Anderson, who's coming up who played at St. Joe's and this kid is going to be dangerous. Um, he was a freshman at St. Joe's this year, lost his season, unfortunately to, to COVID-19. And, yep. but, but Taylor Ray ironically is his coach and, and, uh, Levi was a major impact with that team. He's a great box across player. He's a great field across player. I'm going to be interested to see what uh, what he does here in the future. How many Calgarians are playing at the uh, college level right now? Roughly, I don't need a precise oh, number. God, I wish I had that number. I, I'd probably tell you maybe 30. Okay. Like I'd have to look at our numbers. We've sent 111 kids to school that yeah. have played throughout the last 10 years. Yep. Um, and, and 30 is probably a conservative number right now. We've got kids kind of all over the place, uh, um, whether it's division one, two or three, um, you know, we've got kids playing in, uh, uh, in the CUFLA, uh, in Ontario as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd say about 30. Okay. Um, and you know, it's, uh, yeah. And, and, and more coming, uh, we've had two commitments in the last week and I think we'll have a third here coming pretty quick. Cause you were, you're a university of Denver guy, right? University of Denver Pioneers, maybe. Right. Okay. How many would have been, in your era, how many Calgarians, not Canadians, but Calgarians, how many would have been in college playing? Oh, man. I might have been the only one. Um, I'd have to go back and look at that. I went and then Bob went. I'd have to really dig in. You know what? That's not true. Um, Mark Sherman was at Whittier. Andrew Beers was at Whittier. Or Mark Sherman played at Mars Hill. Andrew Beers went to uh, Whittier. Russell Durr. Um, he's the son of Balforder, you know, famous lawyer in town here. Yeah. Um, he was at Whittier as well. Uh, there was a number of guys, um, it, you know, in terms of division one, I may have been the only one, but there was, there was a handful of guys littered all over the place. I shouldn't, uh, shouldn't say that I was the only one there, but yeah, there was guys kind of, and guys did it on their own. Like, that's the thing that you need to remember. There was no path. Right. Like I, you know, guys just picked up a phone and called a coach and a coach took a flyer like Jamie Monroe committed me to Denver based on the fact that I got drafted the NLL. You never seen me play. So it's very, very different now than it is then. And I, and I, I want to point out that you were drafted into the NLL, but you went to Denver as a field player that, yeah. that, you know, that, that, that's the crazy thing about your sport, right? <laughs> like there is no, is there, is there any other equivalent in, in sport that we know of like lacrosse that has two separate streams like this? I don't think so. Um, I, I, you know, you'd have to really, you'd have to really dig in, but, but no. Soccer and uh, futsal maybe? I, yeah, but not at a, you know, in, in terms of an NCAA level, like, no. you know, not, not at all. Like you, you'd play futsal by, by playing, by playing soccer first, I would imagine. Right. right. Wouldn't that, yeah. I, I would think so, so. Yeah. Yeah. I had never played a, an, or like a, like a, a, a sanctioned organized field lacrosse game until I played Duke. Um, and as a freshman at the University of Denver, that's, so that's insane. Like, that's insane. <laughs> so I had played, I had played like field lacrosse at like Willow Park. You know, they set up the nets. You went out and played. They had Canadian officials. Like it was like it wasn't like a, an organized setup. I didn't even understand what was going on. I, and and uh, and I think that's what's really unique about Canadian players. The best players in the world are the players that both play box lacrosse and field lacrosse. Right. Um, and arguably the best player, like Tom Schreiber is, is an American who plays for the Toronto rock. He played for team USA. He's an unbelievable lacrosse player. Um, you look at a guy like Mark Matthews, 
Mark Matthews did some insane stuff as a field lacrosse player. He is incredibly talented. John Grant Jr., um, Gary Gate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd lump Casey Powell into that as well, just because he, he shifted over to the box side. The the hybrid player is the best player, and so that's what you're starting to see now with Canadians. Is that we need to tip that scale field lacrosse wise. And what I'm most excited about is the girls. We need more. If you are an NC, if you are a, a focused student athlete in Canada, and you are a female, and you do not have a lacrosse stick in your hands, you're crazy. I get emails every single day from NCAA coaches looking for Canadian student athletes, and I don't have anybody to give them. Hmm. Hmm. It is it is the best avenue to to go and be a student athlete if you're interested in doing it. Is and and we're really excited about the female discipline. We just got to get more girls playing the sport. So the hybrid it, it lends itself to the hybrid player, a box, a female box lacrosse player going and learning female uh, field lacrosse is an interesting dynamic and very sought after in the NCAA. The best players in the world on the male, male level are the guys that have put together both box lacrosse and field lacrosse. And that's what's really unique about Canadian lacrosse, for sure. So, so much to unpack out of that answer. I do want to go back. Part of this podcast series is to celebrate Calgary stories. And, you know, we had Sam Affa on a while ago, and Sam never played sports, and then in grade 11 got into track, and three years later was representing Canada. I love the late bloomer stories. I love the, you know, because again, it goes back to what we previously talked about, Jeff, is this whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses. I got to spend money. I got to, they got early specialization and everything like that. I think it's absolutely insane that your first official field lacrosse game as is as a recruited college player at that level. That, that blows my mind. <laughs> well, it didn't like. Let's let's be clear. I played, but you know, I went. No, 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 no. I understand uh, that. No, no, no. no. Like I, I went. I, I was. I started. I was on the second midfield line. It was fantastic. I went down. I took a good shot, and I found myself on the bench for the remainder of the quarter because the coach teed off on me. So I played the remaining three quarters, but the first quarter was limited playing time, just based sure. on some decision making in yeah. terms of my experience right. on the field lacrosse level. So. Yeah, I, I never played on the national team. Um, I uh, I was a hockey player. I was a hockey player in the winter and a lacrosse player in the summer, and that was it. Mm-hmm. There was no crossover, um, you know. And that really started to change. I had to specialize um, based on the recruiting rules. Now you have to specialize a little earlier. We had a kid, um, Malcolm McKinnis, just committed to Fairfield, which is a Division One program in Connecticut, and Malcolm was an excellent hockey player. And I, it was like pulling teeth to get him to quit hockey. We finally got him to quit hockey and specialized in lacrosse because his, his hockey direction was, was, um, you know, was smoldering out. Yeah. Um, and so we convinced him to quit and, and, and focus directly on lacrosse right around the 10th, I think the 11th grade is when we finally got him. So you're talking about 14 years old. Yeah. Right. Which was, which for lacrosse, for sport at that level, like you should really be thinking about what you want to do around the ninth grade. 10th grade is really where you want to think. I I think that's reasonable though. That's yeah. reasonable. It's the eight and nine year old whose parents think, oh, you know, the path to glory here is export. So that's all they're going to do for 12 months a year. That's that's harmful. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think diversity in sport is what creates the best athletes. Sure. Um, you know, I, again, like I, I want kids. I would I love to coach a kid year round for sure. But we only practice twice a week. We, we facilitate. You know, I, I think that it would be. You know, that mindset, again, has shifted economically, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, you've got soccer clubs, hockey clubs, lacrosse clubs, all these clubs that want to practice all week long. I get it. But we run our business by practicing only twice a week. 
I want kids to play sports those other days of the right. week. Right. You know, maybe take a day off. Right. But yeah, like we, I want to work with the hockey coaches so that you've got a high level hockey player that can come to our practices on the weekends. Right. Right. I, I, I want somebody to go play soccer or go play ringette or go play field hockey or do yeah. track and be able to come to our practices as well. So if there was a, a way that we could find synergies between how we could get more kids, we are, are, we should never not win a gold medal at a U19 or at a, at a world junior level ever again. Like we should win every single gold medal from here on out for the remainder of time because we're facilitating. I think that's one thing that the USA does really well is in high school, kids are mandated to play three sports, mm-hmm. right? And you yep. can specialize. You can go into like the, the you know, the U19 program, um, uh, you know, the, the USA, Team USA program and specialize and do that direction. That's fine. But kids are literally mandated to play multiple sports in high school. You have to do it. And, and I think that that's why they create a lot of really excellent athletes is because there's so much diversity in your training. And, and I think we fail, we fail at that a little bit. So, so. <clears throat> let me ask you this question then Shoot. you, you brought up, um, female athletes. So where two parts to this, what kind of female athlete could make a quick and easy transition to being a lacrosse player? Is is there a, a, a preferred sport? Is it a track based athlete? Is it a sport? You know, a team sport based athlete? Is there is there one? You know, if 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 somebody's listening to you for the first time and going, well, there's opportunities, you know, for a scholarship in lacrosse. Where should they come from, or where can they? Would they have the most success coming from? Anybody. Um, okay. I had a friend, Tori Hanna. Um, she was uh, a friend of mine who um, uh, who um, ended up. Um, I met her through a teammate of mine when I was in Denver with the outlaws Mm -hmm. and uh, Tori went to uh, the university of Maryland on a field hockey scholarship. The, the the coach Kathy Reese from the Maryland lacrosse team pulled her from field hockey to play lacrosse and she won four national championships. So like it is, it, it could literally be anything like the passing and catching is easy for us to teach. Teaching lacrosse is easy. Teaching athleticism is is hard. Right. Right. And and with respect to young women, if you're a basketball player, Ringette, Ringette actually has an amazing transition. The, the systems are very, very similar from Ringette to field lacrosse. Very, very similar, um, which is super interesting. Um, the, uh, you know, volleyball, we got tall. Like if you're a tall, athletic female, amazing. Like tall is there, nothing beats nothing beats tall. Whether in any sport, you know, there, there's a reason why Zidane Ochara is, is, has played as long as he has. He's yep. a monster, yep. right? Um, you know, anything. If you're small, we've got a we've got a great who's who's a ring up, small in stature, but makes up for that in in heart and and energy and and speed and agility. Like it, it is literally any body type, any body size, any any level of athleticism can transition into lacrosse because the stick skills are very, very easy to pick up and learn and teach. Um, any, any person that's an athlete on any level can transition into field lacrosse. It would be no problem. What the, the one thing that I've always wondered, it's not lacrosse question. I mean, you know, moving athletes over, adapting them to new sports isn't unusual. You see it a lot in football. You've, you've seen it in other sports, but let's just stay with the, you know, that the equation that we're talking about the passion for the sport. How do you make up for that? Or, or is that over emphasized? Is that, you know, if, if I'm playing ringette, 
but I really want to get a scholarship in the States. There is no ringette scholarship. But if I transfer to lacrosse, that could happen. Do I need to have that passion for the sport? Where does that part come into the equation? The passion for lacrosse or the passion for Passion sport? for lacrosse. Do I need to be live, breathe, eat lacrosse to be successful? Not at all. I think you need to be uh, committed. That would be the only thing. You right. need to be prepared to put in the work and you need to be committed. The problem is, and I think this is what, you know, this is where sport, you know, lends itself with different types of athletes is that, you know, I, I'm not passionate about tennis. If I was passionate about tennis, I, I maybe could have had a career in tennis. I was passionate about squash at one point in time until um, I realized that being an individual athlete and me being the only one that I could point the finger at wasn't the direction that I wanted to go. So, um, you know, temper takes you out of that and, and mm-hmm. uh, snapping, yeah. snapping my last racket over my knee and my parents didn't want to pay for another racket. And that was the end of my squash career. Well, there is I was that. Fourth in, I was ranked fourth in Canada at the time. <laughs> so, um, you know, in terms of passion, um, I think that really falls on the leaders that are leading. You know, it's it's success and failure. You need to have Every time we, um, you know, our motto when we're when we're putting something together is we talk about what we're selling. What we're selling is leaders in sports. And my mindset is we're selling a car ride. And people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, sell the car ride home. I'm like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, two things should be happening. A kid should get in the car and before they leave the parking, they, first of all, they should be drenched. They get in the car and before they leave the parking lot, they're asleep in the backseat. Yep. Because they've been worked so hard, they're just exhausted and they get yep. and that's an hour. Yep. Right. Or they get in the car and they don't shut up for 30 minutes on the way home because they learned so much or they had such a great experience or coach told me this or I did that or did you see me do this? And mom and dad can't get a word in because there's just so much going on that went on over that hour that they get. So that car ride is your responsibility as a leader in sport. And so with respect to someone transitioning to a sport, you have to provide little wins, right? There has to be little wins that result from ultimately picking up a stick from the first time where you're going to be a failure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, we have a we have a great we have a girl. Her name is Michaela. I, I absolutely I love her. She's fantastic. She's um, a girl who uh, lost her. She she can't hear. She's deaf, um, and she came out with us to our triad program. Um, and, and came and tried with us for the first time. She came out, she was terrified. She'd never touched a lacrosse stick before, and she had forgotten to charge her, uh, her, um, she's got like a, yeah, like a, a hearing co- aid uh, device, like an implant, a, yeah. a hearing aid device that a coach would wear yeah. and her hearing aids failed. They, they, so we, we like that for me was something, a real opportunity to be super pragmatic. We dedicated a coach solely to her. She could read lips. She stuck it out. She learned to pass and catch, and we've seen her every summer since. So, the, like, it's terrifying to try something new. And I imagine, you know, in terms of females in sport that we lose a lot of them around 14 years of age, yep. you know, there's, there's something there that we really haven't dug into. Oh, the and numbers so we, are staggering. The numbers are scary right? and they're staggering. Yep. Yes, and, and when we talk about how important it is for, for youth and for people and for learning to stay in sports, that doesn't, that applies, that, it should apply to women more than men. Because men stick in – if the number is so daunting between yep. – if, if there's such a disparity between the two genders at that age group, you know, what's going on? And, and I think you know, if I, would, I would break it down to a societal component is the macho jock, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm the athlete. I'm the guy wearing the coat around school. You know, what does it look like from a societal perspective for females? And that's shifting. And that's why we're really dedicating um, you know, uh, like 
I, I watch Riz on, on her Instagram profile all the time. Um, yeah, you know, Bob Sletter yep. and she's awesome. Like I love her message. She trains her ass off. She works so hard. She's such a and that need more of that yep. in, in sport because that's what girls should be aspiring to do. They shouldn't be, you know, I look at, you know, you turn on, you, you open up social media and you see like a Kardashian. Like I, I would, I would, if I had my, where, where do I want my daughters to aspire to kick ass bobsledder or, yep. you know, yep. social, social media tyrant. Right. Yep. Like, yep. I, and so I think it's on us to, to put that on a pedestal and to, and to potentially glorify what it means to be, you know, a, a badass female student athlete. And I think that's what we're taking a lot of pride in. We got to, Annie Morrison is a player of ours who's at Fred's Fresno State. Annie comes back and works in the community and coaches with us. She's awesome. All of our girls that go away and come back and get involved in coaching, um, you know, really set that standard. And, and we need we need more of that. And so um, in terms of being, you know, back to the to the topic that we were discussing, you know, how do we how do we generate that passion in sport? I think one, it's by putting successful, articulate, you know, student athletes as coaches in front of kids. Mm-hmm giving them something to aspire to the same way I followed Caleb to Burnaby. You know, we need that on the female side as well. Yep. Um, and, and two is get them into an environment where it's terrifying, but you, you get, you, you have that failure and then you have that success and then there's new failures and new success. And, and that, it, that stems from positive leadership and positive coaching in a, in a dedicated fashion that's specific to female student athletes. Yeah. What's the, what's the top end for a, a female lacrosse player what can they aspire to is it just college does it end there no a team canada there's a women's pro league um it's and women's lacrosse we we were man it it is way better to watch than men's lacrosse like it's it's unbelievable when we were in florida last year we took our girls team down to a tournament called the president's cup it's a big recruiting tournament in florida it's massive there's 480 teams it's like the biggest lacrosse tournament in the united states it's unreal played at the polo grounds you have to walk a half an hour to get to your field. That's how big this facility is. Oof. It's crazy. Oof. And so we, uh, yeah. So we went in there. We took them to watch the uh, women's, the U.S. team scrimmage, and they played the Olympic level sort of style of lacrosse. And man, was it spectacular! Like you watch that, and you're like, "Holy, this is good!" Like we, I, I'm, I played ten years of professional lacrosse, and I would not have done well in that environment. With, with the way that these the, these women were playing, like I was, I was, it, it was shocking. So, in terms of what you can aspire to, absolutely, collegiate opportunities, Division One, Two, and Three. There's well into the five hundreds of programs playing women's lacrosse. There are zero NCAA ringette programs. Not that ringette is a wonderful sport. No, 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 no. Right? But it, the, it does. It's not played. That's right. 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 Um, women's hockey programs. I want to say there's under fifty. Um, at an NCAA level and women's lacrosse, there's 500 and plus. Yeah. It's insane. There's so much opportunity and, and, and they're looking, you know, you, you talk about, about the ceiling there. The ceiling is professional sports. Yeah. It's pro lacrosse. Um, and Dana Doby is probably the best Canadian right now playing. She's out of Baltimore. She coaches at Loyola university. She plays for team Canada and she plays pro women's lacrosse and she's legit. Yeah. She's really good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so give me the sense of lacrosse as a whole. We just, you know, we had a fascinating conversation about the women's side, but as a whole, where are we at right now today? Oh man, I, I would imagine, um, you know, I thought we were gaining a lot of steam. I think the multi-sport component lacrosse is a really easy one to dip into because it's, 
it's not as committed as soccer or football or track or mm. any volleyball or basketball. Like those sports, you got to play five days a week. Where lacrosse, you know, we've sort of structured it where it is a secondary component. It was secondary for me growing up, and I ended up it ended up being primary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we've sort of tried to position it that way so that you can you can diversify in sport. And I, I felt like we were getting a lot of steam. I felt like we were dipping into in a non-threatening fashion to hockey players and and volleyball players and basketball players and and ringette players and all these and, and both on you know the male and female side. My concern is is that you know what we've gone through right now is gonna is gonna halt that a little bit. When we went through recessions before, participation in youth sports in uh, in our last two recessions dropped you know by at least thirty percent, which worries me. Right. Now maybe those numbers are skewed because you've got multi-sport athletes. So you've got someone that plays hockey and lacrosse and they just don't play lacrosse anymore. Right. They just play hockey. Right? right. So that, that will happen. I think we're going to have to generate some more momentum and, you know, we're prepared for that dip. So I would say that pre COVID, I, I felt like the sport was really starting to get on an uphill trajectory mm-hmm. slow, you know, not, not steep, but it was starting to grow at, at a better level. Now with this, I, I'm assuming we'll probably dip a little bit, and we'll have to continue to, to start back up. But maybe there's something that goes on here over the next little while that makes kids want to diversify. They don't want to go to hockey five days a week. Or maybe they want to go to hockey five days a week, but they want to do something else for the other two. Who knows? Right. Uh, you know, I think that this this time, you know, again, I, I'd love to circle back a year from now and be like, you know, what did we actually learn here? What did, what have we actually seen? Where, you know, maybe it's completely different than we think it's going to be. Maybe it's much better. I'm not sure. But in terms of the state of lacrosse, it was going in the right direction from a multi-sport per- perspective, you know, prior to prior to March 2020. And then the strength of the province, because, you know, for those of us who've been around for a while, this was for many, many years an Ontario BC thing. And we we've taken steps. We now have teams, professional teams across the country. But from a, a Canadian standpoint, how has the spread gone? Um, you know, I think that's where people people see um uh, people see uh, lacrosse being Ontario, BC on par. BC really didn't have lacrosse until the 70s. And that was a byproduct of um, the pro, it was called the Pro Eagle Box Lacrosse League, which was um, the NLL, the early days of yep. the NLL before it was the MILL as well. And so what happened was, is there was a strike that was taking place and all the guys went out and they formed the WLA um, and it was the Gary Gates and the guys of the world. They, they built a box lacrosse league out in British Columbia. And so that was 70s. And it arrived in Calgary right around the same time in Alberta. So um, in terms of the strength, Ontario will always be generationally in Ontario. They've been playing lacrosse since, you know, forever. Yep. Like you yep. know, The game That's... was created in, in Eastern Canada, right? Right. right. Uh, through, uh, through the First Nations people, they've been playing it for thousands of years. Now, in terms of modern lacrosse, it's early 1900s, right? Um, you know, turn of the century type stuff. And then, you know, they're they're always going to be that leader in terms of depth. Now they're down 40% in participation over the last 10 years, which is scary. Um, In terms of Alberta, I think Alberta is really rocking. I think that, um, you know, we've got uh, a lot of kids that are having success. I think we're relatively on an Island in terms of exposure um, so that, you know, kids go away and they, they impact their team so positively that coaches are looking for more players from the province. I mean, I can only speak with respect to ourselves is, you know, we had a kid who was a freshman captain this year at Lander university. He was a captain of the team as a freshman. Like that's, no, that's it's, like, Steve, uh, no, it's, no, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. 
Um, we've had other kids who are captains as sophomores. And so I think the big component about Alberta lacrosse, which I really enjoy, is the kids aren't necessarily the most talented, but they are the hardest working and they they have the deepest character. And I think that's because I think when kids invest in our program, they understand what we're what we're all about. But I also think that, that that's pushing the needle in a lot of different places is that you see a kid from Alberta, you look on a roster, the kids from Calgary, Alberta, well, now that's drawing attention to Edmonton, Alberta, or you see a kid from Edmonton, Alberta, and it's drawing attention to Calgary, or you see, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of positivity coming out of the kids that are representing themselves well down at the NCAA. And I think that's when we started this. And I know that you and I have had conversations mm-hmm. about, about the top level versus the bottom level. I think there's something to be said about the top level pulling. And, and I think that's what a lot of the Alberta student athletes have done is that they've really started to pull in terms of leading in the right direction and drawing attention to everybody else. And now it falls on our responsibility to continue to grow the grassroots component to funnel more people yeah. uh, into, into that pinnacle. Yeah. So Alberta lacrosse is healthy. I think it's doing really well. I think, um, uh, you know, the kids here are working hard. I think they're training and I go, I think they're going and doing really good things back in, in, uh, uh, in, in the schools that they're going to and, and leading in the right direction. And then I think they're coming back and working in the community and setting that example as well, which is fantastic. All right. <clears throat> My last question for you has, n- well, maybe it does, has nothing to do with lacrosse. I am not going to give you any parameters. I'm going to ask you the question. You get to answer the question any way you like. Give me your hidden Calgary gem, Jeff Snyder. Give me your hidden Calgary gem. Um, there is a place on uh, right by the Saddle Dome, and it's called Z Crew. Hmm. And Z Crew is. I went to Australia, and and if you for those of for those people who are listening who have been to Australia, the one thing that they will take away from Australia, aside from the beaches, aside from Sydney, aside from all of that, is the coffee. And I went to Australia and I, I was big into my coffee here, but I would have like an espresso with my Stika and my beam. And I didn't understand a thing about coffee. And I went to Australia and had a coffee there. I, I drank coffee every day, all day long. It is the, it, you want coffee in the world, you go to Australia, yep. period. You don't go to Italy. You don't go to France. You go to Australia. They take it very, very, very seriously. And so I came back and I was like, I went and I had my Nespresso and I poured it out. I was like, this is, this is steaming garbage. I may as well literally like, it was, it was awful. And so I went, I was going, I went to the gym and I, I went to a, a fitness class one day at my buddy, um, my buddy Creswell has a place called the Method right by Zekru. It's on, Zekru is right across the street from, it's in the Guardian building right across the street from the Cowboys Casino. Yep. So his place is on one side. Zekru is on the north side of that building on 11th Avenue. And, uh, I went in there and I was just, I was, I was complaining about how bad the coffee is. I was whining. I was miserable. And my buddy Kress said, dude, just go around the corner. And I went around the corner and Zach is the guy who owns the crew. His family's from Melbourne and he makes the best cup of coffee in the city. So I had since gone, I was going there like three times a day. I was spending like 18, like whatever, $3, it's $3 for a coffee. I was spending twelve dollars, you know, nine to ten dollars a day on coffee, and I was like, <laughs> so I had to go, I had to go out and buy a legit machine and a legit grinder, and I've gone completely psychotic with my coffee. But if you need a great cup of coffee in the city, that's the place that you go. I love it, I love it, I love it, uh, brother. I appreciate this. Always enjoy our conversations. Always enjoy our talks. Uh, this did not disappoint. Thanks for giving us some time today. 
Man, I, Rob, I got to tell you, every time we sit down and chat, I always learn a different perspective about how I, uh, you know, how I bring my own perspective to sports. And, and I love that, uh, you know, sometimes our positions juxtapose one another, sure. but I, I come out of our conversations always better. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on and, and love what you're doing. And, and thank you for continuing to, uh, you know, advocate for uh, all the young people in the city here who want to who want to do something in sport in general, whether it's a Stanley Cup or or rec league hockey. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's great that you do what you do. So thank you so much. All right. That's Jeff Snyder um, from Elevate Lacrosse, uh, former NLL great um, uh, field player as well. College player. He played for Team Canada. Um, the, the thing about Jeff that I love the most is I always know where I stand with him. I always know where he's at. I always know where I'm at with him. And uh, we can really, really, really get into these conversations, which I really, really dig about today's conversation. So that was fun. Uh, if you missed it, uh, if, pardon, well, you wouldn't have missed it because you're listening to the end of it. But if you missed previous conversations, other chats, say with um, Katrina LeMaydone, uh, Cheryl Bernard, um, who else have we have? Sandra Persina has been on here. Peter Marr has been on here. Uh, if you go back a month or so, all of them live all of the time, 24 uh, seven at Spotify or Apple podcasts. You can subscribe there or sportcalgary.ca slash podcast. This has been an original six feet conversation podcast for sportcalgary.ca.